is expecting you. Yes, welcome for the very last time to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today we will be discussing the second half of the finale, Sozin's Comet, part three and part four, as well as discussing the finale as a whole and the entire series and basically everything. Last time we talked about the first half of the finale, really the setup for the explosion that is the the ending of this show. And today we will be talking about that explosion and the fallout that comes out of it. So normally we start right away with our initial thoughts, but I'd like to say a couple of things at the start of this as our finale of, of The Last Airbender. First, talking about the finale itself. Last time I was, I wouldn't say incredibly negative, but I definitely came off negative. There are things about this finale, especially in the first half, especially the Lion Turtles, that I do not care for. And I stand by everything that I said. I was not saying any of that for any other reason than I believe it completely. With that said, this finale is a phenomenal achievement. And it would be a disservice to you and all of you, for me to be negative about this thing that I love so, so much. That's not to say that I won't talk about things that maybe didn't work. That's not to say I'm going to put anything I said the last time aside. Just that this episode, I'm going to be significantly more positive. And a lot of that has to do with just how great the episode is. But some of it, of course, has to do with just, I definitely came off a little bit stronger on the negative side than I probably needed to, which I, I, I think has a lot more to do with what I would say is missed potential. But in this episode, we can put all of that stuff behind us and really just look at this thing as a whole. Secondly, you know, it's it's exciting and a little bittersweet for us that we've come to the, the end of the, the last Airbender series, but that does not mean anything is going to stop. We have an entire second series in The Legend of Korra that we will be starting with very, very shortly. And I hope you all listen along as people are re-watching on Netflix. And of course, there's also plenty of other Avatar content out there. There are several comics that are, are quite good that we have touched on a little bit here, but we will at some point be covering in depth themselves. There are multiple novels about a different Avatar named Kiyoshi, who we uh, mentioned all quite a bit last week, but we'll be talking about further. So this is certainly not the end of Avatar content. It's not even the end of Avatar The Last Airbender content. However, this is the end of the show. So as we do every time, and I guess for the last time here, Corey, why don't you give me your initial thoughts on the second half of this finale? I love the show so much. Like, you have no idea. Like, I loved, as you know, part one and part two of this. Like, phenomenal and i said it brought out a lot of the great parts of avatar and like almost like a like a highlight reel of what makes the show great and three and four blue part i I haven't seen the finale in such a long time i i haven't watched avatar to completion since before the podcast obviously and this podcast has been going on for what like five years now so i must have not seen avatar in its entirety for about eight years nine years so i forgot a good portion of the finale and that being said i honestly actually will say this part three of this four-parter is my favorite episode of avatar part three from start to finish was perfect it was 
the music, the intensity, the battles, every and again everything. As I mentioned in the part one and part two, you being a first time viewer, not knowing how it was going to end, up until I guess you realize how it was going to end, it's the best television in the entire. I'm not saying the ending ruined it, or I'm not saying that even close, but I'm saying not knowing what Aang was going to do and the, the way they teased everything and the way that they 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 sent you with some red herrings like when he was redirecting the lightning and it looked like he was not going to do it and then when his back was gruesomely pulled against the rock and he entered the avatar state it looked like he was going to do it it's nail-biting television that keeps you glued and Everything about it was perfect. The music was perfect. The fight scenes were perfect. The dialogue was perfect. The the humor, the everything, everything. It was perfection. Part three and four are perfection. It's the best television. It's the, one of the best finales it, it, in conjunction of episodes one through four is so good. And everything that made it good in one and two, where it brought the highlight reels of the humor and, and some of the, the, the choreography, everything here was perfect. Everything in conjunction in part three and four made it so obvious why Avatar is probably the best American cartoon ever made. And I, watching it again for the first time in probably over eight years, it was like watching it almost for the first time, even though I knew how it was going to end. It was just like, I was I was floored again. I, I was glued to the TV watching it again and and after part 3 was done and part 4 started I was like no yeah part 3 was the best I know part 3 has to go into part 4 but I just remember finishing part 3 and just being like oh my god and wow that's I guess that's all I have to say <laughs> yes I mean I, I certainly hinted this at the start I, I love everything everything about these these two episodes and I, I agree with you in isolation part part three um into the inferno is probably is definitely the best episode of the finale I, i'm not quite sure it's my favorite episode of the entire series I, I still think that there's something about the siege of the north part two that that i lean on but it is still an incredible testament to how well that they put this together and just you know, I kind of hinted at it last, you know, last time as well. But the fact that they landed this plane, that they were able to put this this show down and 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 get it, you know, do it this well, it's just it's so hard to do. I mean, you can count on in one hand how many shows have had a finale that is that is both universally loved and and truly elevates the show. And as much anger as I may have had last time, the fact of the matter is this is this is truly the pinnacle of of television. And you know, Corey said, you know, oh, this is the best animated American cartoon. I, I think that that on some level does it a disservice because I think that this is one of the greatest pieces of television. Period. Regardless of, of animated or live action, regardless of American versus anywhere else, and. You're not saying that if the finale isn't great. You're not saying that if you if there was a forgettable finale. And that's possible here and it just didn't didn't happen. So, let's jump right in. And I think just the first thing I want to say right off the bat because again, as 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 even though this is one, you know, the finale is one, you know, the, the, all four episodes. In many ways the the first two do does feel like a setup while this is kind of the the true finale 
uh, of parts three and four. And just right off the bat, I, I really love how they do a great job of giving everyone something to do while not feeling, um, while not feeling uh, contrived about it. I, I see a lot of finales you'll you'll see, or just a lot of these kind of big things where they feel like, okay, we need to give each character their like their moment and their thing to do, and then they do their one thing, and then they're gone, and that's it. And I feel like they do a great job of sort of you have essentially four different plots going on within within this finale. You've got Aang versus Ozai, kind of the big culmination of, of that. You have Zuko and then later Katara against uh, Azula, which is their thing. And then you have Sokka, Toph um, going after the airships. And and then, of course, the kind of the, the last one, which is probably the, the least um, in, influential because it's, it's sort of the least... Uh, the characters were the least connected to is the Order of the White Lotus taking down Ba Sing Se. So you kind of have four distinct things going on, and we cut from from each um, battle to to each. So I kind of want to do that themselves and kind of cover each one individually. I think that's probably the most the easiest way to do it. So I guess let's start kind of on the smallest side. We we have the the retaking of of Ba Sing Se, and you know I, one thing that this show we you know we deal with a lot and we talk about a lot here is most of the characters in the show are children they're children or teenagers and a lot of that is because of where the, what the show is and where it was you know what it's marketed to and, and who it's for you you have a cast that's going to skew on the younger side and we rarely get moments of really full power masters you meet masters but the masters we've seen in this show have been mostly relegated to training and teaching i mean we've never seen you know we, we got a glimpse of it last week with the flashback of boomy cutting out of uh, omashu but really boomy was just this random earthbender who seemed kind of okay but he was basically our introduction to earthbending jong jong never really did anything in his episode because that was not the point paku was a teacher someone there to to, to train um and Katara and to get in this episode we kind of get to see each of them you know uh, fully unleashed is really it's really great They're, these are all like relatively minor characters outside of Iroh but each of them is like really really powerful and I, I like that it, it's it's cool to actually get them see get to see them just like going for it yeah it's catharsis that it shows what mastery of all the the bending is obviously Sosin's Comet with Iroh's bending is some of the most catharsis. The release, when he releases that first fire blast. And by the way, the sound effects of fire under Sosin's Comet, every fire blast had a weight to it as a result. And I I think Iroh's was like the first blast where you really see it. And like, it just feels so good watching that come out and him destroying the wall like that and it, it it's you know between the other masters and the white lotus watching them bend at full capacity it, it was like the start of just like such an emotional roller coaster every single fight no matter which fight it was was the best in the series like it actually was the best in the series every subplot the a plot the b plot the c plot all were on equal ground which is what makes it just so miraculous how you're able to not only juggle all these plots give all the characters something to do that's satisfying but all of it being of equal quality Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's just yeah, it's that's that is really great, and I mean you kind of touched on something, and we'll certainly talk about firebending quite a bit throughout all this, but yeah, getting to see they really did a great job of of selling us on the power of the comet, you know, just that first moment of Iroh breathing in and out and seeing the flames surrounding him, and then that first you know motion to to break down the great wall of Ba Sing Se, something the firebenders have you know been trying to do for you know, a hundred years essentially. And you're just like, yeah, this comet is, is, is the real deal. This is great. And I, I love like the, like almost like feels like the comet, like it looks like the comet, the, the, the fire blast that they have um, coming out of their arms. And it's, it, it really sells that like, this is not just a small thing that this, this, this comet really, really matters. Yeah. And it, it, again, it, it's, it's seen throughout the entire, every, Bender, it it just the and I think that what really sold it again is the, the the sound effects they added to the blast and it felt like every shot was the kill and even just like I know this is jumping ahead but Fire Lord Ozai doing like almost like a dragon breath to like it's like I I can't believe I'm comparing it to like Game of Thrones obviously this came before Game of Thrones but like what the weight of what happened with the Daenerys flying with her dragon it was literally like a giant dragon flame raining down chaos and then when all the other firebenders behind them were doing the exact same thing like the scorched earth technique it really looked like he was gonna turn the entire earth kingdom to cinder and it like really puts weight to what you know uh zuko was saying about this entire it was like literally the definition of a scorched earth technique and watching the flames at like 100,000 percent like raining down like dragon fire was just so cool yeah no yeah for for sure um and yeah i think that 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 was that was quite important um i i don't i don't have too much to say about about the white lotuses uh, retaking of asing say i mean i you know it's, it's really only a couple of of scenes here and there and you know i think that it's it's certainly the the part that we're, we're going to spend the, the least time on, but I, I, you certainly get a, a moment of Iroh, you know, igniting the the fire bending flag and then having the earth, um, the earth seal revealed underneath it. And I, I know there's something, you know, really resonant about the fact that you know that 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 earth seal is was going to be there. I mean, I know at the end of the day, it's just because they they happen to put a, a flag over it. But there's you know just something like visually nice about that. You know, the Earth Kingdom enduring, bossing, say enduring, you know, enduring, and that you know once the the facade of the Fire Nation has been removed, they can go back to you know go back to being what they what they're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like it's something I have, I always think about this, and it's fantasy, so ultimately it doesn't matter. Uh, but like the whole like foundation, like in, in real life, right? In real life, if propaganda has been spread about Iroh as a disgrace and and Zuko, you know, a traitor, all of this, and then like all behind the scenes as the viewer, we know obviously they're good guys, and and the Fire Lord and Azula are bad, but like it's just always funny to me when you see like the big baddies fall that has this entire dictatorship and like I guess fascist regime and then like the, all the people are just like cheering when like Zuko was coordinated as the Fire Lord it's just I don't think in real life that's how it works but again this is a trope in all of fantasy Star Wars included yeah I mean well we, we could talk about the the coronation a bit later oh, yeah it's, um, that's I, I, I certainly have thoughts on that and I, I will say oh. I quickly just to, to pivot back because we're still early on in, in part three some of the best humor in the show is when Toph and and Sokka take the uh, airship 
Like, I think that's the hardest I laughed in Avatar in a very long time. Like, first off, Toph in the, the metal suit was amazing. That's such that's the coolest way we've seen uh, metal bending so far. That was amazing. Uh, and then the humor of <laughs> just having them go down, like uh, him calling down for his birthday, and they're like, oh, hey, yeah, I work in the engine room. Yeah, I guess I guess that's why I never saw you. I just it was hysterical. <laughs> yeah, I'll... I guess we can just use that to, to transition right in um, to the plan to take down the airships. And, you know, for sure, if you're going to put Sokka in a scene, it's it's going to be funny. But, yeah, that – it might be one of my favorite comedy lines of all time. I, I just – I love – I mean, for one thing, it's just like the use of random guards is something they've always been really – really good with it's you know it, it is it is a, certainly a trope to kind of have like the nameless guards you know have you know some funny dialogue but like this one i it just it really works for me i because there's something like at first like he says like you know we have a very important birthday today and you're kind of going but the crew isn't gonna fall for this that's <laughs> It's kind of stupid. And then you have the guy going i can't believe the captain remembered my birthday and it's this moment of like Oh my god, yeah, it just kind of works because it, it just does. And it's like only Sokka could pull that off. Only only Sokka can have a plan that's both that humorous, but also it just kind of it just kind of works, and I I love it. And I, I got obviously I think it was inspired by Star Wars with Han going, you know, and like I think it was a very Star Wars inspired scene. Yeah, but I would say that like with this with the Star Wars one, like it. The Star Wars one, it doesn't work, and that fits that story. And in this one, it does work, and that one fits this story. Like, it's not a perfect copy because, you know, they Han doesn't trick them. I mean, they, they do send people. Um, Yeah, I, I looking at this this stuff with, with, with Toph, Sokka, and, and Suki, it's, it's just really an incredible testament. I mean, for one thing, if you really think about it, they probably have the most important job of all of them. I mean, they're the ones legitimately stopping the, you know, the burning down of the Earth Kingdom. I mean, we, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Aang's battle with Ozai and, and, and Zuko and Katara dealing with, with Azula, and, you know, rightfully so. But it's kind of interesting that this is probably the most important one from, like, a strategic perspective is is stopping these airships and, and stopping the, you know, the mass destruction. I mean, this is essentially, a, a you know, a, a firebombing of, of a continent, which is, you know, really, really bad. Um, and I think it works, it works really great. You know, there's, there's something kind of resonant to the idea that like the, the airships in, in air technology is kind of something that Sokka was kind of a little bit of a part of and, and the mechanist, someone Sokka looks up to is kind of the one who, you know, helped to create and design this, this technology in the first place. And that, you know, adds a little extra emotional resonance. I agree with you. The, you know, Toph doesn't have that much to do just because, you know, she's up in the air and what can she do? But the that first moment of her metal bending in, in the suit and just kind of like, oh my God, yeah. And then, you know, Sokka's acknowledgement of like, I'm so happy you invented metal bending. And they, <laughs> and like, you. they just had to get another blind joke in there. Like, oh, you well, you expect me to fly the airship? Like... <laughs> there's always always gonna be a blind there was another blind joke at the end of the episode there's gonna be if tops involved there's gonna be some blind jokes i don't i don't i don't have a problem with that i mean look hey as we said it was hot i was on a blimp and i think a giant turtle showed up yeah yep that's that's the episode i guess um yeah, I, I, you know, uh, certainly some some standout moments, but also you know, got to give some some credit to to Suki again. You know, we talked about this a little bit during the Boiling Rock episode about how 
know, Suki isn't in that much of this show, but she becomes like such an integral character in the end. And, you know, in this episode, it's another one of those ones where, yeah, she's definitely not, you know, the, the most pitiful and she's not the one you're going to think of immediately, but she plays a vital role in this, in, in, in stopping these airships. And, you know, she gets separated from them and is able to do some stuff on on her own. And I, I kind of wish we actually got to see a little of that. Um, but I, you know, I, I accept that there's there are certainly limitations in terms of time. And, you know, so you, you just got to give, you know, give Suki a shout out there to, to, to everything she did. Yep, yeah. She was, uh, again, they utilized every character, I think, pretty much flawlessly into the best of their abilities, especially in the end. And even with the the, like, the nice ending with the Kyoshi Warriors, I thought was really neat, too. But we'll, obviously, we'll get to that. But another mm-hmm. standout of this, and it's understated on just how good Azula's like fall from it was so uh. we'll, we'll, we'll get to we'll get to Zula in a, in a, in a second yeah or, uh you know we're still working through um you know just yeah the last thing i kind of want to say about about them i mean just you know the, the last uh one last moment of boomerang and you know another one you gotta give Saka gotta give Saka credit we're gonna be giving a lot of credit out here but the fact that he you know essentially is on is on a broken leg i mean we see him on crutches afterwards he's probably on you know a broken leg and is holding Toph up with one hand and is able to grab the boomerang shoot down one of them grab the sword throw it at another one like that was a really impressive move i mean you know we 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 certainly have talked about like Sokka is is not the he's not a bender he's not one of their you know maybe not the strongest fighter but he comes through in the clutch and knows and and knows knows that uses the tools that he has with him and that you know that's that's impressive rest in peace space sword i mean i think he went back for it that's my i have a you know that is the last time you see space sword in canon mark so space sword is gone you you know that for sure i mean you know avatar canon as much as i do do you ever see space sword again i have not i mean there's still avatar canon coming out it's not like it's over well <laughs> that would be great there could be an an, an asaka goes after space sword uh a comic I, I would i'd read that i would read that in a second um all right any anything to say about the the airship plot no it was night it was humorous it was satisfying and it was a very good uh, I guess C plot or D plot. There's so many plots. But... I wouldn't say C. It's it's the C. It's the C plot. I mean, if you it, you know, we can debate what was A, but A and B are, are the the Agni Kai and the 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 Ozai fight. The the next plot is the C plot is 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 them. Sure, sure. But yeah, but yeah, very good. All right, another great transition. So let's just do it. What's the A plot of this episode, Corey? It's Aang and the Fire Lord. Okay. So then we'll cover Zuko and Katara now, and then we'll do Aang and Aang and the Fire Lord last. I'm just going to be honest. I'm not sure I entirely agree with you. I think that you could make a very real case that Zuko and and Katara is the is kind of the the A plot of this. I mean, I think that's pr- it's probably flimsy. I mean, I think you at the end of the day, it it, it sir, it, the the weight of the story does place a little bit more on Aang. But you know, I, I think this is definitely a one, a two, um, with two incredible stories. But yeah, let's let's move over to the Fire Nation, and and before we get into the Agni Kai, anything about Zuko, you want to talk about Azula, so you have the floor. Talk about Azula. Everything about Azula's slow descent in the madness was actually perfection. Like, first off, her sitting in the blue. Well, first, let's start from the beginning. Her getting her foot 
you know, rub and she's eating the cherries and then she starts banishing people left and right. A, it was first off, it was humorous at that point. Like, you know, she banishes. And at first off, it's like, I wonder, I have a question for you. Do you think if this show wasn't a kid's show instead of banishing them, she would like execute them? Like, I feel like in like, if they were really were able to go full in, I think she would have actually been executing instead of banishing. I don't, I don't think so. I think the execution thing is deliberate. I, or I mean, the, the banishment thing is deliberate. I think that, keep in mind that she does see her mother in this. And the idea of banishing someone has an emo- a certain amount of resonance considering what happened to, to Zuko and what happened to her, her mother. And I think that the fact that it's, I, I think it's a deliberate choice on her part to, they're not deliberate, but I think that they're, it makes sense to me that she's banishing them as opposed to straight up executing them because we haven't seen, I haven't exactly seen executions in this in this know, um, yeah. in the Fire Nation. Like, I mean, I, I I kind of just feel like for her, this is a like there's something more emotional about like that than some kind of like the killing them on the spot thing. Like I I hear what you're saying, and I think you're not like entirely wrong. And it is one of those things where if you were to change the entire series and like completely change. Like maybe there are just are more executions in this world and it makes more sense overall. But I I don't think so. I, I think in the at the end of the day, the it makes a lot more sense to me that they're that they would be banished than they would um be executed. Alright, sure, sure. Okay, that's fine. So yeah, obviously I was just thinking about that. But yeah, so obviously it was humorous with the twins and like they're like I forgot the name what are the names of the twins? Lo and Lee. Like are like was it like Lee, you're banished like but I'm Mo. Well, which, which one of us is banished? So that was another laugh out loud moment. And then, yeah, in general, they they do a really great job of weaving the comedy in into very natural places and in in, in ways that doesn't it doesn't cheapen the episode, but also is genuinely funny. And they do a really good job of, of that here. Um, I mean, look, I've I've talked at length on this podcast about moments that have been they've done really great with that and moments where they've done a poor job with it and i think this is probably the best example of them weaving in really funny moments i mean that the 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 guard thing we talked about earlier this this thing with low and lee are really funny some of the funniest things in the show but they do it in ways that that fits the story it gives you just enough of a break from a lot of action to be able to you know, keep the pace up, but they don't linger on them too much to the point that like they become like ridiculous and almost like silly. I mean, they never, they're not silly. They're just funny. Yeah. I mean, when, when avatar jokes don't stick, I mean, like, you know, you get groans and like, eh, but when they do stick, it's literally laugh out loud funny. And as you said, it doesn't intrude in the plot and the, every joke in the finale from part one to part four stuck. And I can't think of one joke that didn't stick. So hats off to them for the entire four parts having you know perfect humor uh some of the best avatar humor her in the chamber with the blue flame surrounding her perfect the visual her slowly like just look like her eyes like and and, like the way they animate her is a lot more sharp and she makes more sudden movements and it's clear she's like losing her mind and before she even cuts cuts her bangs she just has these sharp movements to her and her face twists and it's just oh it's so good we we have i mean we have to talk about that i mean the, the, the hair thing in this in this show in this universe is a really big deal 
especially in the Fire Nation. Um, I mean, the moment of Zuko removing his, um, you know, removing the ponytails are really important thing, and, and Ira removing the top bun, and we'll see it in in some other things. There's some moments with with a Firebender having their Firebender is having their top buns removed and it like really matters. And sure, she's not cutting the top bun in this case. She's just cutting the top of her hair. But for like hair matters in this series. And, you know, if you think back, essentially the first scene of Azula in book two, the first, one of the first things you see with her, uh, you know, after the, you know, the kind of brief introduction in the finale is the, the line, just one hair out of place. And, you know, Azula, you know, perfectly kept, but one hair falls in front of her eyes as she's, as she's firebending. And you're, you're seeing that and, you know, you think back here to now how where her hair is just completely disheveled and she's essentially destroyed it. And, of course, you have to give the, you know, requisite advice. Don't cut your own bangs. Hmm. You know, every, every girl has ever, ta- has ever said that to me. Don't do it yourself. And she runs into that trap. But... You know, there's there's something important, and you know, talking about like closure with an episode, that's a really nice callback to like the that is the beginning of Azula is sort of her in perfect control, such that one hair out of place, one hair isn't good enough, and now to to see here where she's just like completely lost her mind and still in that same mindset of like my hair must be perfect, but rather than you know doing what needs to actually be done, it's I'm just going to take scissors and cut it off because I'm just cutting things out of my life right now. And her, her voice actress, uh, Gray DeLisley, I think her name is, she's just the best performance she's given the entire series, in my opinion. Just the way she's able to uh, uh, emote Azula's fall. And obviously the scene where she cuts her bangs and her mother's in the mirror is flawlessly done and you you feel pity for her at that point you feel like you see everything all the chips are laid out she feels like everyone yeah do you feel pity for her no i mean like in a way like as a human like you you have empathy like she her mom has left her her best friends have left her she thinks everyone's betraying her everyone's gonna leave her uh, and I think, like, obviously her banishing... And it's important to note that it is her own fault. Yes. No, her, her, her mom said it. Like, her, her, sorry, her mom said it. Like, you control people by fear, blah, blah, blah. But I, again, I think that's... And I think you agree, and it's pretty obvious that's what the show intended, is she was banishing people. And I think you're actually right now that I'm thinking about if execute versus banish. She's banishing people before they have a chance to leave her, obviously. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. or betray her, or, 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 like, just like her friends betrayed her. So you know hats off to that and uh, it all leads to Zuko obviously when he first notices her and challenges her is like now she's off balance and like it's so clear and it's uh it's just perfect storytelling yeah i just i we we touched on this last week and i want i just want to bring it up again here a little bit i i really think that you know she says it out loud when she's talking you know talking with her subconscious when she's talking with her mother that you know it's about May and Tylee and i think that that's really important i think the idea that for her the the two people closest to her, her her two you know best friends as much as azula can have friends you know deciding to to betray her because in their words they don't fear her enough is is really the thing that 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 started this that this demise that for her she has relied on fear as the only thing and it's never failed her and in this moment for it to it to fail her so so strongly has you know it, it causes such a such a crack and suddenly she just doesn't know 
what she can trust and what she can do. And then to add in that she's suddenly being thrust into now she's Fire Lord, although she doesn't feel like being Fire Lord is actually enough because her father is now becoming this, you know, all powerful Phoenix King. You know, it it does add together. And, you know, I, I joked a little bit before, you know, to saying it's her fault. But yeah, I, they do a good job of, of giving her just enough. You get just enough sympathy for her to that you're like you can you can understand who she is and understand this downfall without being like ha 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 she you know it's it's funny that she's going crazy but still always understanding that it is it is her fault through and through they're never at a point going like well you know there there it's not her fault there are other like it's it is clearly her fault she made this bed it's just now that you see it coming crumbling down you're you're at least left with just the the human a little bit of humanity in her to say you can you can understand that, right? Right. Um, Zuko and Katara show up, and look, I, I I think you know this is this is incredible. I mean, you, you get the little bit of of baiting going on between between Azula and and Zuko, and you know have to throw in my my little uh, you know Team Four Star line. Funny thing is, I know you're playing me. But you're right. Very much, very, very little, little Vegeta energy in there from from Zuko. I mean, like he knows that that she is, you know, is playing. He straight up says it that you know I know that he wants to separate us, but I can take him. And you know, look, I I agree with to some extent with Azula. I mean, this is this is the showdown that was always meant to be, and that there was there was never a way for this to this to not happen. Um, and I I, I like that it does. Um. But you know you do have to you have to recognize like Zuko you didn't you didn't need to do that like you had Katara you could have just said no you're a war criminal I'm not gonna fight you with honor. Um, that being said, I, this Agni Kai this is the best sequence in the show it, just uh, without a doubt the everything about this I mean you, you talked about it in your in your intro but the the, the music the visuals the way that the two opposing blue and orange fires play off of each other the way that we see Zuko and Azula look you know even for these two even Azula who is you know always incredibly powerful and even in her quote-unquote weakened mental state you still see just these incredible bursts of, of fire everywhere just destruction everywhere and you know later on when you see the Fire Nation and you see like there's like a lot of destruction around the the Agni Kai arena as though like this was you know, this was two of the best firebenders in the world dueling during the strongest time to be a firebender and it's just it's incredible and on top of that like you add in like how great the art looks it these these total big spectacle stuff and then you just add in the amazing facial work they do with Azula and, and Zuko where Azula looks so fundamentally different just in her eyes like you can see that she is at first just not in her right state and then at some point you see fear like you actually see fear in Azula something you've essentially never seen before from this from this character when she realizes oh my god I'm I'm overmatched here Zuko is, is gonna beat me and then on the other side seeing Zuko with this you know, confidence and almost aura about him where he suddenly feels completely confident in himself, totally, you know, right in his beliefs. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's such an incredible thing to just to watch. And, you know, you know, a scene is incredible that you can play this 
with no sound, just focusing on the village, uh, the visuals, and it's amazing. You could play this just listening to the music and hearing the sound of the fire, and just that, and you would think it's amazing. Every which way you look at this at this sequence, it is incredible and so great. And the the two fires playing off each other, it was like art. It was like a dancing. It was like almost like dancing. If you look at it, it was just like artistic the way it was done, obviously. And I think this kind of proves that Zuko could have always been as powerful. First of all, obviously Azula as a Azula's at her weakest mental state while Zuko's at his strongest mental state, but it, it make Zuko up until this point in the show always was conflicted and never had conviction and it makes you question like if Zuko always had conviction and always thought what he was doing was right or had you know the support I wonder just like what his was was this always his ceiling and do you think he would have he would always be able to at least match Azula at her strongest I I disagree I I think without this he would have never reached this potential I think that this is because you saw Zuko when he was young and when he was young, he had no conflicting thoughts. His mother was still alive. He had no reason to believe that he was on the wrong path. I mean, even at that time, Ira was on, you know, on the Fire Nation side. And he was a was a relatively poor fire. I mean, not poor, but, you know, certainly not able to match his younger sister. I, I think that Zuko needed to go through all of the struggle that he did in order to reach this, this point. And... I understand what you're saying, but I I don't I don't agree. Yeah, I, I, I mean think Zuko. Yeah, no, I agree with you because at this point Zuko is by far and away at his as best, and Azula is at her worst. I mean, at least mentally, not not in terms of bending ability. So this was like I guess you're right, the only circumstance where he was able to take her, and that's why. And that's but why. I mean, I mean, but the thing is, I mean, emotions and 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 mental state plays a role in a big role in bending. I mean, yeah. that's something that's been established throughout this show. And that's and yeah, it makes sense that Azula's, you know, when they since they are on even footing with the comet, are you know is 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 definitely look. I think even at the end of this, if I were to ask you who's the better bender, Azula's still the better bender. I, I don't think that's I don't I don't even think that's a particularly in doubt. But I think that in in the you know Zuko has become you know incredibly skilled, and I don't think he would have ever gotten there without going through and discovering who he is on his own. I mean, he says it later in this in this finale. I mean, he says to to Ozai, "Banishing me was the best thing that you could have done done for my life because it it put me on this path." Right. Exactly. All right. I'm gonna be nice to you something I shouldn't do and let you talk about the lightning scene and Zuko and Katara and then I'm going to tear you to shreds but I'm going to let you talk first just to be nice so have uh, so, at it so when I watched it live it it vindicated all of my thoughts that they were together and uh, yes when I brought it up your first thing was a jump down my throat no no just just make your points okay. and then I'll talk okay okay so I think they've had chemistry since the beginning We've been fighting about this throughout the five years of this podcast. I think this, these episodes, the finale, was by far and away the strongest argument, the icing on top. The show writers 
easily could have made it so when Katara was saving him with the water and, like, was cradling him in the arms, they could have kissed, and they would have gotten together, and it would have made sense, the viewers would not have been confused, and it would have been a really satisfying thing. I always will stand by this, that the way Katara and Aang come across to me is Aang having a school... No, bo- no, ah, no, 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 you said no, you let me no. talk. You said you no, let I'm me... No, I'm not letting you talk for a second. You are not allowed to use anything about Aang Katara to talk about Zuko and Katara. It is not a binary. Even if you could prove beyond a, stat, a shadow of a doubt that Aang and Katara are not meant for each other, that would mean nothing for Zuko and Katara. You are only allowed to talk about Zuko. Okay. Well, I think their arc together as two characters where they originally hated well, she originally hated him and he was redeemed and then he brought her on that whole revenge thing and then they just grow as characters together i think you're giving them a lot less credit than they deserve and i thought this ending I'm was the perfect giving them more credit than they deserve and I, I know you don't want me to bring up ang but the entire series ended with ang and katara kissing we're gonna talk about ang katara we're gonna talk about them what all right I'm well is... i think it's this... not a binary. It's not as simple as it's either Zutara or Katang. It's it's Katara's allowed to do whatever hell she wants. Well, I think this would have been the perfect ending and cap to their relationship if they you went that way. You said they've had chemistry. Please tell me the times they've had chemistry. It, it's subtle. It's it's very no no. Tell me the times. Don't don't say it's all. Tell me the moments in this show when they have had chemistry with one another. The entire one time in book one, in book one, well, yes, okay, well, time. in book one they were on the opposite side of the fence, but um, okay. So when earlier when you said from the beginning of the show, what you meant was the mother's the so the, no. the obviously you disagree with the mother's necklace part. The mother's necklace part. He uses something of hers in order to track Ang. What is romantic? There's nothing romantic, even a little bit about that. But it, it all it it it. it it the if we go back to the episodes and he brings up some like I have to re, I have to rewatch the dialogue I remember it being more nuanced than what you're saying right now it wasn't just as simple as what nuanced he took her necklace because she could use it to use the sheer shoe to track Ang it had nothing to do with Katara he didn't pick it up because it was Katara's he picked it up because it was Ang's traveling companions. I don't know I I I I could rewatch from start to finish I think there's a lot more in that relationship and this would have been the perfect there's nothing in book one there's nothing all right book two name me the chemistry they have in book two Uh, i i I gotta go through it again i have to it's been we've done this book two we recorded book two in like great i don't care i don't care Corey. i understand what you're saying you have two characters who are good looking no. and you want to put them together. No. That's what Zutara is. No. They have no chemistry with one another. We had this argument during Southern Raiders. Watch Southern Raiders carefully and you will see that it, there is nothing between Zuko and Katara. Zuko provides nothing for Katara in that episode outside of the very basic information of what the flag means and where to find the person to go. But emotionally, she he doesn't provide any support for her. Katara in that moment needed the uh, to let this thing go. To maybe not forgive him, but at least to let her quest for vengeance to go. And what does Zuko do throughout the episode? No, no, you should you should you should take your revenge. You should you should finish him. 
the idea that they are together is ridiculous. And the idea that Zuko saving Katara's life in this moment by, by intercepting the lightning is absurd because that's not romance. That is simply Zuko doing the right thing. He is in a fight with, with Azula. He, for whatever reason, decide, thinks she's going to fight fair, even though he's known her forever and knows there's absolutely no way she would fight fair. And yet it ends up putting Katara in essentially a defenseless position. In many ways, it's kind of Zuko's fault that this is where they are. And Zuko tries to rectify it, which is great. Zuko gets redeemed. I'm not arguing that Zuko and Katara don't care about each other, but just because you care about your friend doesn't mean that you're in love with them. I don't know, Mark. Uh, let's just have to agree to disagree. <laughs> I, I, again, I, I, it's hard for me to do it without comparing it to Aang and Katara. I would argue there's just as little chemistry between Aang and Katara. That's, that's fine. You can argue that there's no chemistry between Aang and Katara. What I'm saying is, even if you prove Aang and Katara aren't right for each other, what does that mean about Zuko? It just, it feels more right. It, more isn't the point. The point is, either you think that they should be together or you don't. And you have at no point made a compelling argument to me as to why it's to the textual evidence that these two people are in love with each other. Now, I understand that that's an impossible thing to do because canonically they are not in love with each other. So fundamentally you're arguing against you're arguing against canon, so I get that. But the fact of the matter is there's nothing to these two like there's nothing in their relationship that it, that is romantic other than the fact that he's a boy and she's a girl and when you have two a boy and a girl near each other on a show we just decide that they must be in love with each other. Well, I, that's how I feel that the writers made it to uh, the main character and then the main lead character is the female of Aang and Katara. Well, that's that's fine. Again, that's fine. You can you can hate Katang all you want, but just like you keep saying like this is the the arc of the show, it's just not the arc of the show. It's like two scenes and even of those like you can very easily understand how those scenes aren't like that. Like again, like if we're just going with if a character saves another character's life, they're in love with each other, like well, throughout this show, all the characters save each other a million times. Well, then, then that's it. I think this is the last time we ever argue this point. Until that's, we, until won't. we, until we make it. It to, won't. It won't be. But until we yeah. make it the core, where you realize what a bad dad Aang was. Well, that's that's a whole other conversation. That being said, we've been doling out credit. Let's give a shout out to Katara. Katara beats Sozin's Comet Fuel to Zula. Oh my, and Just Katara beats her 1v1. Katara had the coolest use of water bending I think we have seen up to this point, too. The Yeah, the, 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 the freeze into moving throughout the water, chaining her down. Just like water bending master indeed. I mean, to think, you know, talk about like arcs and how far someone's come. Keep in mind, like, the opening of this show is Katara barely being able to waterbend a fish out of the air. One of the, the end of the first episode is, is Katara, like, having to turn her back because the only way she can use that ice waterbending move is by, like, you know, turning around and doing it from the wrong angle. And here, she is defeating maybe the best pure bender in the entire series. 
I, 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 all right, Toph is probably the best pure bender, but like one of the best pure benders in this entire series while she is powered up by the comet. And while, sure, you can say, you know, she's in her weakest mental state, but, you know, essentially that's probably canceled out by the comet. So she essentially beats Azula at her, at full power. And that's, you know, it's unbelievable. And as we just talk about like, wow, this is the best use of bending. It, again, it looked like art. The way the ice and her swimming through it and the, the again, it, it it's just so funny. The silence of the being underwater, how it counteracts, like the, the loud noises you're hearing throughout all the other fights with the enhanced fire bending was just like serene. And and once again, the facial expressions, the look on Katara's face when she realizes she's got her and starts to swing around with the chain. It's just like so great. You just love it. Yes, it, it's it's perfect. Again, I, I, I use the word perfect and I mean it. <laughs> All right. Now on to Aang and Ozai. I'm going to be honest, I don't have that much to say about this other than, holy shit, this is incredibly epic. Avatar does a lot of things well. They do spectacle really well. And did they turn this up to 11? Yes. Is it unreal? Yes. Just Ozai taking off, you know, taking off the shirt and, you know, just got a note. Man, Ozai is ripped. Yeah, he looks like the definition of what the title he bestowed upon himself Like, the is. combination of Ozai, Iroh, now that he's slimmed down, and Zuko. Like, man, that family. They have good, good genes good there. Genes, yeah, yeah. And, and, and Aang is just... Aang, this is the best Aang has ever been, even without the Avatar state. Like, I, I love the opening where he just slowly, with all the elements, dismantled the ship. It was just, like, so cool. <laughs> and It is. And for all the humor in this episode, I'm so happy they decided to give almost literally, well, almost zero comedic lines or comic relief to Aang. Aang right now is not in the frame of mind where it would have been necessary for him. He was completely dead serious and came across as like, this is what the training, uh, talk about an arc, all the training he's been doing throughout the mm -hmm. entire series too. Can I ask you a question? Why? If he doesn't get battered into that rock and entered the Avatar state essentially by accident, is he dead? Yeah. I think that's kind of what, the, again, this is kind of what Zuko was saying. And by, speaking of getting battered into the rock and, and sound effects, oh, Mike, what a gruesome, gruesome graphic, <laughs> graphic oh, yeah, thing. To see, the, to see the rock hitting into that, the wound in his back. And it was like a Mortal Kombat, like, like uh, oh, my God, like... And the way it activated the the coolest, coolest visual of the Avatar state I think I've ever seen. And again, there was... There, the, the, he, he grabs Ozai by the beard. No, it's, it's, it's ama <laughs> amazing. And he it, just comes out and just grabs him by the beard. And you're just like, oh my god. And by the way, I loved how uncomfortable and unnatural he was redirecting the lightning. Like, especially when it was going through his body at first. He was not a natural at it obviously he just i think just barely was able to do it successfully and i liked again the tease of where he was pointing to him and then immediately looked away and pointed outward where you make it think that he was just going to be not able to do it but to be fair before he had the option of not killing him he beat him clean like i think the, the big issue is when he was about to show mercy if he wasn't able to strip bending away from him then ozai would have just kept fighting and until he was forced his hand, but Aang beat him clean, you know? Well, 
the Avatar State beat him clean. Sure. But, you know, they're... One. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, look, I mean, we, we can certainly talk about the, the lightning moment. I mean, look, I, I spent pretty much the entirety of the last episode, you know, railing against how much I wish we got to see Aang, you know, really grappling with this choice. And, I mean, look, they do give you an answer. Aang has the opportunity in this moment to kill him and doesn't. And... You know, you can, you know, I, I still have problems with the lion turtle. I still don't like how it how it happens. But at the end of the day, like for as much as I was negative last time, and I still am, they do at least give us that moment that I that I crave. And, the thing, yeah. and the makes re- the choice not to kill him in the moment. He has the lightning. He has, you know, as, as I said, all the power in the universe. And he he doesn't he, he shoots it off into the sky. That's what I'm thinking. It's not necessarily as much of a cop-out as at least I remember it being, because you're right. At, in the end of the day, he made his decision. He's just not getting punished. Yeah. He's not getting punished for the He's decision. He's just not getting punished for his decision, which, no, but I, which I still think is a problem, but it's, it's fine. We're not, I, I'm, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to relitigate that because it's just not, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Um, that said, the, the swirling, the, the swirling avatar ball of death of the four elements. Oh my God. How epic is that? Yeah, no, it's, it's every – and even him speaking in the Avatar voice, channeling the voices of all the other Avatars and, like, unison as he's, like, judging him. Like, you have been, set, like, judged and, like it, – it's just – you're right. They turned Spectacle up to 20, but – the the, the yeah. best the best part about turning spectacle up to twenty is that in a series like this everything is earned like you are able to enjoy the fan service now because you earned it and I just <laughs> look I is Ozai a compelling villain no he's a force of nature he's not really a character and at the end of the day there is far more emotional significance to the defeat of Azula a character we've spent time with than the defeat of Ozai I, I totally get that. And that is, a, you know, if that is a complaint that you have about this finale, I'm, you know, or even about the show, I'm, I'm not immune to it. You know, I'm not, I'm not against it. That being said, this is what you do. If you're going to have a force of nature villain, if you're going to have someone who is, is not even a character, but just this, this all-encompassing figure of, of evil and power, this is what you do. You turn it up to 20, you turn the spectacle all the way up, and you make it as cool as you possibly can. And they pull that off flawlessly. Yeah. Do I wish Ozai was was a compelling villain? Sure, I, it would be great. But you know what? At the end of the day, this finale is so his you know the final moments of him of, of of Aang defeating him is just so epic that in this moment I don't really care. We can look back on this series and look that was the point of thoughts from Amu. We've done it. We've talked about it at length. But in this moment, it is just it's so it's everything you need it to be. All right, Corey, I have to you know we we have to have this discussion, don't we? How 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 do you how did you how do you feel about uh, our beloved Luke Skywalker becoming essentially the Emperor? What what do you mean? I don't understand your question. You are talking about Aang? Well, who who I, plays I will... Ozai? Oh Ozai! Oh, is that Mark Who's Hamill? His voice act that would be Mark Hamill. Yeah. So how do you feel about our beloved Luke Skywalker becoming the all-encompassing figure of evil? Well, that's Mark Hamill for you. He has played strictly evil characters outside of Luke Skywalker because he has the perfect voice for it. So it's just it's hysteric, especially in a a series so inspired by Star Wars and it's essentially Aang being Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi right now, where he refuses to strike him down. So it's kind of ironic, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's just there's something about it. Look, it you know, 
Mark Hamill does an amazing job voice acting. I mean, you know, his Joker performance is is also you know maybe the best Joker I've ever seen. Um, and yet, you know, in this one, there's you know he he does it really well. And yeah, there's something a little, but there is something a little weird about it. it's it's Luke Skywalker's voice as you know the the chosen one in this story. Although technically Luke is not a chosen one, um, you know, makes kind of the same choice that uh, that that Luke does and. In kind of a similar vein, is kind of saved by forces outside of his control. But you know, there's at the end of the day, there's, you're right. This story was very much inspired by Star Wars, and there's something really cool about it being Mark Hamill, the the, the true villain here. Yep, on the complete opposite side of the foot. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, yeah, I, you know, I, I think we talked about it. We talked about it here. We get to see we get to see energy bending. You know. I wish we maybe had gotten a little bit more of like an understanding as to what this actually is, um, but it looks really cool. And as I said, you know, if you're going to do this kind of this this kind of like naturey stuff, just turn it up to eleven and make it look cool. And they do that, and that's really great. So, you know, really love that part. It makes me think too, because I always like to compare stories like this that were inspired by Star Wars to Star Wars, and I think a character you never really would see in. In, in Star Wars, which uh, for a Jedi, it just makes perfect sense. And it would actually like kind of save the hypocrisy of the Jedi as if Jedi had the ability to like strip the force away from Sith users. So they don't have to like kill them. I think that would be like a really cool concept that they had like a way to remove the force from force users as a Jedi technique. Yeah, but wouldn't, wouldn't by canon that have like literally legitimately be ripping living things out of their cells? Because of metachlorians. Well, it's, yeah. Uh, it's funny too, because in the Knights of the Old Republic game, and in, in two, that's what the Jedi Council did to your main character, and like they said, it's like it's just like a cruel punishment, because like in fact, stripping you from the Force is like worse than death. They're saying, because then you're like, there's no afterlife. So like, that, I think it's actually worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that said, I I kind of think that like this is a pretty extreme thing, and and you know, look, we're gonna see it. Very shortly, when we get into Korra, the idea of ripping someone's bending away is that's a big I, deal. I, I know we're gonna mention it, but I want to just know now, just before we jump into Korra, how does he Amon learn that? Where does he get that? Amon does not learn it. How does he know how to? How does he remove bending? Then he doesn't. He doesn't remove bending. He is actually using an advanced form of uh, what Ty Lee does, but um, combining what Ty Lee does with uh, blood bending to essentially lock your chi. Such that you can't access your bending. Okay, so he does it, not actually take it physically, take it away from. It has you. nothing to do with the turtle, then. Okay. No, it has nothing to do with the turtle. Okay, good. It's been a long time. Yes, we'll get to that shortly. Anything to say about Ozai and Ang before we move into the coronation? Nope. It was a perfect, perfect fight. Despite the lion turtle, I don't. Again, I was the first time I ever ever watched Avatar. I 100% thought it was a cop out, and I was upset about it. The second time I watched it, I knew it was coming, and I was less upset about it. And the third time, I knew it was coming, and I was like, I don't really care. <laughs> Everything it's was fine. perfect. <laughs> That's totally fine. So the coronation. So we're gonna we're gonna do a little. Um, we're gonna start a recurring segment. That by recurring, I mean it's gonna happen twice, and it's gonna be Mark's favorite musical note in the finale of an Avatar-related project. I absolutely adore the music in this coronation there's just something so perfectly hopeful about it coming off of all this action you're kind of coming down from this high 
um, of all that. And sure, there's a the little bit of comedy at the end with with Toph and 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 Sokka, you know, the the loser lord and all that stuff. But like once you get to the coronation, you like realize like this is the moment like you realize this is the end of the show. This is the end of this this entire thing, and just the music is so so great. And that that first moment you see Aang in the full Airbender regalia, and there's that light gong. That is my favorite musical note, probably in the series. And yes, this will be a recurring theme. I have a favorite musical note in the finale of Korra that we'll talk about, you know, significantly later. But I just I love how that sets the tone for this, you know, for this ending, for this this final embrace between Zuko and and Aang to to realize how far they've come. And you know, seeing Aang in the full Airbender Sage outfit. I mean, he is an Airbender. He will always be an Airbender. And you know, there's just this is it's just so powerful. I, I love, I love the look of it. I love the music of it. I love Ang and, and Zuko's little conversation there. Yep. No, it was the perfect endings for all these characters, and it felt uh, you felt the relief in in, in, in everyone and in, in everyone Zuko and and Ang. I love the way Ang is dressed right now. By the way, he looks like the Avatar. Um, I love the way Zuko is dressed. Even the clothing matches the the spirit of everything. Yeah, and you know, you just get that nice little shot. I mean, this is actually kind of before that, but you get that nice little shot of you know, kind of everyone. You know, a bunch of different reunions. Katara and Sokka get their reunion with their father, and you know, that's really you know, really nice and and powerful. You get to see the Kyoshi warriors back in their in their regalia, and you know, another you know, spoilers for this. I'm mean, not going to say anything, but like the Knowing about where that uh, where Kyoshi's outfit came from, which you you do learn about within within her novel, adds some extra significance to that. And and I I now I now really like both that outfit and even this scene itself of, of seeing them back in the in the full in the full makeup and and, and clothing. It, there's there's a, there's an extra emotional resonance to what what that means, and and that I really love that. Um, and then you know Zuko's final, you know Zuko's coronation speech. You know nothing, nothing really to note here. I mean, it's 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 pretty pretty standard. I mean, I think you were kind of mentioning at the start. It, it is a little. It's interesting that all of these people are here and all of these people are cheering. I mean, I think that it's pretty clear that these are you know friends and, and people who are are loyal to them specifically. And you know the the rest of the world isn't necessarily you know cheering this in the same way. I mean, this isn't. You know exactly the finale of of of, an, of Return of the Jedi, where it, it does seem like the entire galaxy is having a party. You know, I kind of feel like this is a little bit more restricted to the people who actually know what's going on. But I can understand if you know if you do have a little bit of like, you know, the Fire Nation did you know essentially burn down the world, even if they couldn't you know fully burn the Earth Kingdom, and it is a little like, you know, it'd be it might nece- might be nice if you know not nice but it's it does feel there is a little bit of like why are all these people celebrating right now with how you know awful things have been yeah i mean again like it's just i'm not this won't hurt the series not even a remote bit but if in real life it, it wouldn't be it, there, there the the fire nation would not fall that easily um and funny i think you know i that's why i actually kind of like definitely the extended the extended 
universe of Star Wars, which is no longer canon, made it so that all the and it kind of actually was in the the sequel trilogy too that the 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 moths and the 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 generals and all of the people the admirals all became warlords and after the fall of the emperor so it wasn't as a, a neat but the thing is now we know in in Korra that yeah no everything turned out great even up to Korra the well, the, the world not, he... no that's not true like that I mean first of all the comics there's quite a bit of problems right. so that's just right off that's bat not true and like we don't like. Yes, we know that seventy years after the war, they've entered a time of peace, but that doesn't necessarily mean what happened for the last, you know, fifty. Sure, sure. I'm just saying, like, the at least with Star Wars, you know that the Emperor, and I, I can't mention the sequels because that's you know the stupid it was, but in, in, generally speaking, the fall of the Empire wasn't as smooth and cut well, as. The Return I of the agree, Jedi. but the one thing I would say is. If there was a nation, if there was a, a people that would be able to transition this relatively easily, it is the Fire Nation. Because the Fire Nation is so centralized and so sort of controlled, it kind of does make some sense that if, and this is a big if, but if the people recognize Zuko as the true Fire Lord, it's not insane that they would that the Fire Nation itself would would simply revert into whatever Zuko wants. Because they are like you know an, essentially an absolute monarchy, in which case you know there in which there's a lot more direct control. I mean, the part of the, the point of the reason it's the Fire Nation as opposed to the Earth Kingdom or something is it is a nation state. It is a singular state, a singular government, and it's not it's not as crazy to me that the Fire Nation would devolve would not you know would devolve into something legitimate. You know, it would stay sort of unified. It's the Earth Kingdom that would be much harder to kind of understand what it is but since the earth kingdom was so divided in the first place it's just going to go back to being relatively divided right um all right epilogue time we have our we have our epilogue um iroh playing the suki horn back in back in their uh in their tea shop oh sorry not epilogue time i forgot about something um zuko going to the prison to talk to ozai How'd you, how'd you feel about that moment? It's just like, uh, I, do, do you think that Ozai should be in a more of a maximum security prison? <laughs> I mean, it's, it seems like he, it's very easy to break out of that thing or have someone break you out. Does it though? It's just like, a, it's like a very rinky, like falling apart cell that looks we like. We only know of one person who is quote unquote broken out and it was, you know, Full power Iroh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it was very nice. I, I mean, again, in terms of catharsis as the viewer, like seeing him literally fallen from grace in a dirty cell that only has like a floor. Like, <laughs> I didn't see a toilet in there. Like, it, it, it's. I, I, you know, I, I think it's actually kind of. It's funny because obviously Zuko says, like, you're lucky the Avatar spared you. He could have killed you, and that's the only reason you're alive right now. And he obviously has no pity for his dad. I just think it's pretty uh, rough. <laughs> I mean, I think that – I mean, keep in mind, one, we don't necessarily know how long this is afterwards. I mean, it, it you know, this very well could just be a temporary holding place while they figure out what they're going to do with him. Yeah, that's true. And 
And two, I mean, I don't know. He had his bending removed, so he isn't, you know, he isn't certainly isn't as powerful as 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 he should be. And you know, you probably would prefer to keep him close. Like, do you really want him off on like, you know, the boiling rock or something where like he could escape and then you wouldn't know and you would, you, know, you probably would want to keep him relatively close to the capital. Right, right. It was good. I, I don't have a problem with that. No, I don't have a problem either. But the dialogue was flawless and. You know, as you mentioned, Mark Hamill's performance is really good. And, you know, Mm -hmm. what a shift. Yeah. All right. Now, epilogue time. And this this is this is the final. This is the final scene of the of the show. How 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 did we get here? Um, So, yeah, the you know, the gang is is all together in, in, you know, essentially back in Iroh's tea shop, you know, and you know it's this is going to be a little light this is going to be funny it's going to be the kind of the final comedic beat of of the series of of Sokka's you know now pretty uh infamous poor uh poor art skills at you know attempting to capture the moment and and everyone just being like what's going on um and the final you know the just final line of the series I mean you know many of you have probably seen this but you know the the first uh, word spoken in the series is it's the last word spoken in this series is perfect. Now, this series is bookended mm-hmm. by it's perfect. And just to note, perfect is the final line of the legend of Korra as well. So that one, those two connect to each other. You know, these, these moments connect to each other in, in that way as well. And, you know, uh, a lot to say about the Korra finale, but we are a long way from a long way from that. Um, and of course, the final final shot of Aang and Katara embracing and and kissing, you know, I I don't want to have another another one of these. We won't. I mean, listen, listen. In terms of again, we're talking about the the key word I've been using, especially leading up after the fight was over, is catharsis. The entire series was teasing on their love, and he got it, and he kissed. So for Aang, good for you. Good for you, Aang. Uh, you know, I I have a little bit more emotion at this. I, I I really do like it. I think it is a really I think it is a well put together put together sequence. I, I like that they're you know I, I like that they're together. You know I think that you know the the relationship between Aang and Katara is the bookend of this show. I mean Katara is the one who found him in the ice. Katara is the narrator you know of the of the intro essentially the narrator of the and viewfinder of this story at first and. You know his her relationship with Aang is you know is is pivotal to to Aang's character and pivotal to the story and this is to me this is exactly how the series you know was always going to end and, and should have ended. I think it's you know visually it's perfect. It's it's you know it, the um, the music is great. You know the fact that there's no dialogue here is is really telling and, and really well done. It's, it shows a, a an amount of restraint that I think is important. And yeah, I, I have nothing really else to say. I mean this is this is great. Um, we're done with Avatar, man. Took us a while. Took, took us a while to say that, but <laughs> we're done. So, uh, I guess for our final five, we'll give your final thoughts and your rating for the entirety of Sozin's Comet, parts one, two, three, and four. Well, it, as you said, you could probably count the number of satisfying conclusions on one hand, and I agree with that. Um, this was pretty much a perfect ending to avatar the the minor like listen i i i the more it settles the more you think about it i I, the writers really had three options and i think this was actually the most satisfying way to do it i think the only way it could have been better is if they set up this turtle throughout the series which they never did but it is what it is but 
I, I think it would have been bad if he killed the Fire Lord, whether it was in the Avatar state or not. I think it would have been bad if he let him live with no consequence, like where he could live, still have his bending, and then, oh, okay, you just beat him, and he just... It, he, he folds because he lost the fight. That wouldn't have made sense. So this was the way out. And it, it's still everything else, everything else in this four parter lifted it up. And it just, I just don't care if it was not good. I would care a lot more if this was not the best music, the best animation, the best writing, the best humor, and the best way to end the character arcs and the best this and everything else wasn't 10 out of 10. The, the, the less perfect this was, the more I would have been upset with the lion turtle. But the fact that everything else Everything else was perfect, and you know there was quality in it, and you know this was just a way for the writers to kind of write themselves out of a little corner that they kind of put themselves in. I don't care. And it might not be fair for me to say because, yeah, some people can say that that should deduct points from this, but I'm not. I'm not – even though this is a major plot point, it didn't – it doesn't. I'm sorry. Everything else lifts this up to a point where it's perfection. It was – by far and away, some of the best animation, the best fight scenes, and as someone who was invested in every single character and has made it through the journey and has watched the, everyone be at full potential and seeing, as you mentioned, Katara, what, where she was versus where she is, and Aang, where he was versus where he is, and again, even the Fire Lord Ozai, who as you said was a force of nature being at full final boss mode. Uh, and it, it, it was perfection to me. It was everything was wrapped up in a neat bow. There was no loose strings. It was by far and away a 10 out of 10. I will not deduct points for anything. It was to me a perfect ending. A hundred percent emotionally and everything about it made it a 10 out of 10 for me. I, I can't, I can't go that far. I, I can't, I can't give the entire finale a 10. The Lion Turtle still bothers me enough that I, that I have to deduct something. I, that said, I think that you could make a very compelling case that Into the Inferno is a 10 out of 10 as an episode. Um, just everything about that with the Agni Kai is so unbelievably good. Um, but, you know, to be fair, there are little things here and there that I, that I have nitpicked. And I'm, you know, I'm going to... I have said if I'm going to give a 10, I'm giving it because I, I truly believe it. And I, I don't. This finale has something that really disappoints me it did. That being said, Corey is not wrong. This is such an incredible achievement that they put this that they put this finale together. So when I say I'm going to duck points, it's not going to be much. I'm going to give this a 9.6 out of 10, which still puts it in firmly the ground, you know, the upper, upper echelon of, of, of series. And for me is is probably you know is, is definitely on the short list for the greatest um finale of all time um and you know is just a testament to how well they realize this world and how well they put this thing together that it's that it is this good and you know i am i am absolutely blown away that they that they managed to put this thing together this well so yeah that's that's gonna be that but we are not we are not done um, as many of you know, Korra releases on Netflix tomorrow. So we will have some Korra content starting tomorrow. Um, we will not have episode our episode discussion of episode one uh, tomorrow. I think uh, Corey and I need a, a bit of a break on, on that. But I am going to have kind of my initial thoughts for the entire series. 
So you can check that out very soon. And, you know, we are also, again, not done with The Last Airbender. So we will probably at some point be talking about the comics uh, a little bit more in depth. We've certainly mentioned them here and there, but never given them their full full due. I mean, as, as Zuko said, where is his mother? Well, we, there's an answer to that question, and we'll uh, we'll dive into that that soon. So, I want to thank everyone everyone here for for being a part of this this journey. I want to thank Corey for sticking with me. I want to thank uh, my two former, you know, two other panelists, Lindsay and and Charles, who unfortunately could not join us today, but were an integral part of making Thoughts from Aunt Wu uh, what it is. Um, so, I thank I thank them, and you will certainly be hearing from them again during during our core discussions. Um, and thanking, you know, all of our guests who have been here um, and everyone who's come through. I, you know, thank you so much. This has been this has been a blast. So um, check back tomorrow for the start of The Legend of Korra.